0: Welcome to Rector's Covered, a podcast for people who are interested in questions of culture and faith. We ask these questions from outside the institutional structures of religion. We're glad that you're listening and hope that you enjoy and benefit from the conversation. Well, we're pleased to welcome our guest, Marku Costomo, in just a few minutes. But before we do that, I thought maybe we'd take the opportunity to talk about a few articles. Interesting.
1: We haven't done this in a while. T-
0: yeah. It, Allison's here.
1: <laughs> in case you didn't notice. That's Allison speaking <laughs>
0: right now. And Cupboard Master Ken is here. I am, but I don't Hello, have anything Ken. from the cupboard. Because no, it's nine o'clock in the morning. No, you know, I, I had brought some coffee. Family, <laughs> I had some family in the studio uh, office garage here recently. And somebody actually went and opened the rector's <laughs> cupboard, and they—they they they, must have been
2: pretty excited to see what was in
0: there. Yeah, they're like, "There's actually a rector's cupboard." I'm like, "No, no, there is, a, there is like,
1: a physical one. Yeah. Our, our location please, is
0: undisclosed." Please close, <laughs> please close the cupboard now. So anyway, <laughs> uh, I came. Across, yeah, so the first article I wanted to talk about is about um, motor hotels. Do you remember motor hotels? Uh,
2: ab- well, you we do. called them motels, but yes, right. That's that's, that's why motor I, used that. I mean, uh, really, my only, only the,
1: recollection right. of them is, frankly, from Shits Creek.
0: Yeah, right, from Schitt's Creek, where it's become part of it. So this article was in September in the, I guess it was New York Times, maybe? And it's about how in upstate New York, so it's happening around here too, though, in British Columbia and some other places. Mm -hmm. It's just that in upstate New York, I think it was a little more concentrated, because motels were like, people used to go on road trips and go one motel to the other. Well,
1: they were talking about like, specifically with like the Catskills, like people would leave the city, and they would venture into the country of New
0: York. With your family, I guess you'd get in the car, and drive to these places where motor hotel motel you drive up yeah so each each room has its own door mm-hmm. um and now these places many of them are being bought up and totally renovated made mm-hmm. to look you know super nice now were motels ever that nice or did mm-hmm. was that before our time Ken? when
2: when i there was were always like
1: an economical option weren't we Oh, yeah, they
2: were significant. Do you
0: remember, Ken, if they
2: were ever really, really nice? I don't think they were ever nice. They may have been new, but that didn't necessarily mean they were <laughs> nice. Yeah. Those two things didn't they necessarily were all, go hand in hand. Were they
0: hand. all kind of similar where the, like, the little sink area was outside the... The
2: the toilet you get that with, yeah. the,
1: with several hotels and stuff. that the, I the back the cool. yeah. and
3: the
0: kind
2: of the I, I remember when we'd go on road trips and when we were looking for a place to stop, my dad would say, okay, well, we'll find a place to stop in the next little while. And I always looked for the swimming pool. Like for me, that was the big thing. I was like nine, 10 years old. And I was like, the dad, let's pool. stop at that one with the swimming pool. Motel which in swimming retrospect pool. though? I I realized why my parents were hesitant at the excitement <laughs> a of a motel like swimming pool, which was in the parking maybe? lot if it was always in the parking lot that was true if the bed sheets weren't clean how mm. confident were you that the The
1: pool was well maintained yes but these new
0: places that people are buying up they're making them nice they're putting like half a million dollars into them well yeah i mean
1: you, you see kind of like the spectrum of people who are really leaning into the retro and trying to keep as much stuff as possible and just like like make it nicer and then you have the other people who are like "No, this is an opportunity to just kind of explore design and do some cool stuff with it it's
2: it's it's sort of like a replacement in some ways it seems according to the article for it's a different way of doing an airbnb sort of thing Mm -hmm. and somewhere in between so when you used to go down the i-5 down towards california you'd pass motel 6 and they were like 60 dollars a night or something like that these are now 250 dollars a night or for two nights yeah, or some something like that. So they're a bit more pricey, um, but it's also a way for people. It, the article seemed to suggest people who wanted a place to get away, but they didn't want to buy a cabin, this would give uh, them a place to yeah. gather with friends and family. And when they weren't using the place, they could also rent it out as a, well, as there, a resort. Well, there were several
1: ones that were mentioned in this article where, you know, they're, they're kind of like a, a smaller motel. There's like 11 kind of suites or whatever yeah. in it. And they're like, okay, well, you could use this as a place that you could have all your extended family or they want to rent it out as like a conference yeah, center. Yeah, that, that place or will only
0: rent it out all the, all the rooms All the rooms, rooms
1: at once, which you go like... That was that's called the
0: Sylvan Motor Lodge. I like some of the names. Uh yeah. one's called the Glen Wild, another one the Starlight Motel. I've I've uh, always
2: kind of wanted to have like I've always dreamed, not always, but recently of the idea of having a uh, like a retreat center and they're so expensive. And I thought actually this, this would, would be, be, kind be kind of a cool way of doing car-ty. a retreat. It would. Private rooms yep. you just build a, a conference area and a little restaurant to feed people. It's well, one of the and
0: singers kind from of the one of the singers from the B fifty twos. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Kate. Peterson yeah. Mentioned in there. Yeah. Has, has renovated one of these motels. It's called uh, Kate's lazy meadow. Um, so wh- what else do you think uh, it is that draws people to these mm-hmm. that this might go back to the Schitt's Creek thing?
1: Well, I think there's, there's a sense of nostalgia. Yeah. Cause it's like, like I think of, it made me think of um, shows like marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Like it's all set in like the fifties. It is interesting how many shows
0: have scenes in motels. Mm-hmm.
1: But it's right, like that seems yeah.
0: to. Well, first of all, that probably be a good place to film, like some old motel you can go. Well, in, right? it's probably cheap, cheap, and but there's something kind Bates, of like, for example, was
2: another one.
1: <laughs> That's a different kind of. Oh, motel. I see. Sorry. Just, bad so you,
0: example. Yeah, it's and and I guess post COVID too.
1: Well, I mean, it doesn't talk about that in the article that they're like, you know, people have exterior entrances. There's no shared, there's no common area aside from maybe the reception area or a possible like dining room that, so like during COVID it's allowed for, for, you know people to have a, a level of confidence traveling
2: yeah because you don't have to get on an airplane and and be in a place where no you know just you think. and 300 <laughs> other people are sharing the air i know that gets filtered and all that I but just, still i'm
0: i just think from my time when i was a kid and and you know my dad having taken us to some motels where we would drive like from toronto mm-hmm. down to disney world or something the, the idea that you would go to a motel because it would be, like, more sanitary. <laughs> is, uh, <laughs> that's new. So My some parents things are never new. let me try the magic fingers. Uh, Sorry, <laughs> we may need Let's to Let's end on that out. note and go to another Woo! article. Um, okay. I think your parents were very wise. Um I I wanted to bridge this this that article to one that's quite brief article that was in like I don't know some religi- religion news daily or yeah, something I think so. um couple of authors one Casper Turkile who's become kind of an expert on how and why people gather um he had a podcast called or has a podcast called Harry Potter and the Sacred Text which is like millions and millions of listeners but Turkile's a little is bit bigger than ours just a bit yeah, yeah like I mean we're almost the entirely. same entirely um but he I've listened to a number of things that Turkal has said and read some stuff he's written and he talks about how people s- still gather for the same reasons they used to, but they're not gathering in the same places and necessarily the same way. So I can't remember them all, but he says like people gather when asked for social transformation, they want to change the world, personal transformation. Yep. They want to be changed and grow accountability. So mm-hmm. these are like fitness groups and other things where you, ha- you know, the group holds you accountable. But in this article, um, it talks about how uh, young people aren't going to church, but that doesn't mean they're not interested in mm-hmm. spiritual life. I, th- I think it was like seventy-eight point three percent of well said that to they cared about spirituality. Were, they said they were at least slightly spiritual, yes. <laughs> like that. But yeah. anyway, you were, had some thoughts from the article. Yeah, I mean, I
2: think there's a couple of thoughts I had. One is, from my perspective, I think everyone has a spirituality, and by that, I just mean we all have a way of trying to make sense of certain things in the world and engage with it. So we all have a way of explaining why does bad stuff happen, why does good stuff happen? Why is there beauty? And it could be as simple as, well, what goes around comes around, or I believe in karma mm-hmm, or right. and those are spiritual statements. That's a that's a way of explaining Uh, a big concept of whether it's suffering or joy. And so everyone has a spirituality. It may not be well articulated. It may not be thought about on a daily basis, but it's there. But there's a couple of things I thought that was interesting in this article. One of them was over half the young people who claim religious affiliation still have little trust in the religious Mm. institutions with which they identify, even in the religious leaders. And I thought... Uh, that was interesting. They have they have a low trust, but they have a high trust in relationships with people in there.
1: Yeah, uh, and so I, I found I thought that, that interesting was as interesting. Well. Um, well. Yeah, because they talk about um, how I, I think there 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 was a time where being. You know, a, a religious leader, a priest, or a pastor, or a minister kind of just granted you this automatic authority and respect within the community, and that doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. Um, and, and I think for, that there's... For
0: myriad of reasons. Yes, some no, of them and I think some of them are very legitimate.
1: Yeah. Um, and so they're talking about instead that, that um, religious leaders are having to find that if they're wanting to connect with people, they need to actually invest in those people. Right. And I go, that feels a little healthier. Than just grant me authority because I speak for God. So I,
0: I wonder what that means for churches that like I've been back to church a number of times since they've been able to gather again and the numbers are way down. Like I'm going not as, I'm not the pastor in these churches. I'm going as a member of the congregation and it's, it's interesting to see, right? In, in mm-hmm. most cases, not all, I've been to a few different places. Um, it's, it's way, way down. And I think people are asking, are people coming back in general what Turk and I can't remember the other author's name. Matt right, right Packard. There, uh, yeah, Packard. John Packard are saying is they're not coming back. Uh, what you're saying, Allison, the fact that there has to be some kind of personal relational connection may mean some of these bigger things aren't, the big crowd gathering things aren't necessarily going to stay. So maybe the nature of church changes, but what does that mean for the structure, the institution, uh, clergy, pay, I, all I that
2: think, I think it also has given people permission to think of a different way of experiencing and expressing their, their faith and spirituality, you only had one option. It was to go to an Mm. institution, to a building where not only did you have to agree with the basic tenets of the faith. So for example, in Christianity, uh, the idea that uh, Jesus is both uh, God and human. Yeah, you kind Basic of nod your head together. The yeah. well, but yeah. then there was all the addendums. And therefore well, and, and you and for also for the particular have to, denomination. Yeah. So you had all these and you also have to believe this, this, and this on moral issues, on authority. Yeah. You have to come to church this many times and read the Bible like So, So like, this is other, the church I
0: go to. I'm Baptist. I go to a Baptist yeah, church. And, and that's so like this forever. is now or given or whatever.
2: Yeah, and this is now given an opportunity for people to actually to ex- not only explore different ways of engaging with faith and religion, but also a bit of freedom to actually try those things and not feel guilty about being away from the institution and the guilt that sometimes comes with Mm -hmm. institutional faith and all the other baggage that comes with it. You remember
0: from being a minister as well, one of the things that I think you and I both wrestled with, I, I don't know that all ministers wrestle with this, but it was that we seem to have to be constantly asking for people's allegiance yeah. Like, can you sign up to help at this church at this thing? We're gonna need you like every Tuesday or e- whatever it is, and and this is the church you go to, like you can't. And I I think that's what's shifting a little bit. What does it mean to be in relationship with yeah. people um, seeking sp- spiritually seeking? Even people who say, "Well, we're Christian and we want to grow in Christian faith." but that some of these kind of allegiances are breaking yeah. down, and that's not all bad.
1: It I mean. isn't. I think that there's just a, a different kind of um, approach to types of community. I think that there's a lot of people in younger generations that don't see the, the harsh delineations between denominations or even some spiritual practices as ne- inherently dangerous or bad, that they may go. I think there's really good things that I can glean from other practices and expressions mm-hmm. of faith, and I don't want to f- be called a heretic for wishing to, you know, meditate and, right. and experience God in that way. I mean, Which that definitely yeah. would have been part of like my spiritual upbringing. Right. Was the following anything, things are dangerous? Yeah, exactly. Anything that this. wasn't acceptable in my particular expression of faith wasn't okay.
2: Yeah, and I and I think too, all institutions, religious or not, have been brought under a lot of questions. Whether it's political yeah. institutions, yeah, yeah. Look at what, yeah. P- believing yeah. in in the institution of law and order and the police and all that, and the church is caught up in that, and in part for good reason. You just had the report out of France that yeah. what something like oh, two hundred s- th- over two hundred thousand, three hundred thousand,
0: over three hundred thousand when you consider uh, lay ministers. So People it was two hundred and something thousand, thousand priests. Yeah.
2: Yep. And and all this abuses, no wonder people are questioning: Can we trust this thing? Because you know, people had to know about it, and yet they shuffle people around. And so uh, there's there's that loss. I think as I, I, I well. was thinking
0: that when I saw those reports. I thought, and this this article points to it that. If there was any other institution where that much abuse was going on,
1: it wouldn't be You'd, you'd say, Okay, this institution
0: anymore. needs to be dismantled. Yeah. yeah. Not not the not the purpose of the institution. No. That no,
2: but will clearly need to be there's rebuilt. something going so religion, on. Religion, faith, that spirituality, this something isn't needs functioning to functioning in a healthy right. way. Well we're seeing that in, in sports. Right with the uh, the gymnastics, the sex the abuse, of of the, of the, the, the stuff that came soccer, out of the yeah. f- football, Penn State, um, the abuse that NHL hockey players now talk about of being forced to take drugs yeah. just to keep the pain to yeah. a to a dull you go, roar, this isn't okay. all those sort of things. So there's abuse in all level in all these various levels of institutions, and they're being questioned. But I think the one interesting thing in here. Um, that I want to reference is it just it says at the end, the the question oh, yeah. is not whether Gen Gen Zen is that Zeders? Zed. Zeders, Zeders, yeah. Zeders yeah. are Ziers, I guess Ziers? well we're that's American. Yeah, are going to abandon religious institutions they're already on their way the question is whether faith leaders will walk alongside them as they encounter the divine in new ways and I think that's a big thing we can either double down and say you know we're we're just going to really uh, Really try to keep this thing existing. Well,
1: and then you make anyone who doesn't adhere to that opposition. Right. And, it's
0: and hard though. Feel like feel you can see, you can feel for ministers because yeah. yeah, the whole the whole thing is at stake. So I want to go to one last article. Yeah. Just in a few minutes here, um, Allison. You were mentioning, you know lists of things you like if you said i i think i should meditate that'd be on the list of like no you don't meditate (laughs) Um, this article is about words you're not allowed to say in a well tell us well it's
1: it's specifically a a london secondary school that has london uh, england yes it would it would seem because some of the words that they've got on their specific list wouldn't be
0: said in london ontario
1: i don't think so a
0: a list so it's a list of things you can't
1: well, and they, banned they words, say, but they're
0: not the ones you're thinking of. Okay.
2: Yeah,
1: exactly. They're they're banned words in they say <laughs> no, like formal educational settings. So I don't know whether that just refers to like written assignments and tests and presentations, or whether like all conversation in class. I'm not sure. Um, it it seems like there there are the administration and the and the faculty at this school are are rather frustrated by some of the slang that has crept into. Uh, their their formal educational spheres. Uh, and so,
0: what kind of things are banned?
1: Well, they say starting sentences with because, no, like say basically erm. Uh, um. That must be like an English thing. Erm, um. um. or maybe it's a young thing. It's I'm like not. Um. I'm not that young it's anymore. Um. I
0: think it's um erm, um. but erm um is the
1: yeah. And then they've got like some some See, slang you, expressions. You just Broke the rule there. I probably did. Yeah.
0: But this is informal. So but it is, yeah. so
1: it's okay. I'm not in a formalized um, educational setting, um, and so they would seem to say like, well, they say like it would be a shame if it becomes a case of if you want to be successful, this is the way you have to speak. And so there, there are people who are calling for going oh, like that's, this. That's is a, that's somebody uh, speaking pushing against, against this these thing. lists. Yeah. Um, and I mean, one of the one of the expressions I hadn't heard it before. Uh, it's, uh, he cut his eyes at me. So
2: I love that one. It's it, a great expression. It
1: means like they like glared. Uh, not this not even says, knowing. He shot me a withering sidelong glance. And I'm like, oh, I want to use that.
0: Do they, so do they offer alternatives? Was that what that no, was? No, no, no. That's what oh. the
1: definition of it is. So there's part where I'm like there's always been a bit of a discrepancy between what sort of casual language you would use in conversation and social interaction. and So they are trying to say, here's formal. the appropriate
0: way to speak and express yourself. Some of yourself. it
1: definitely feels grammatical. Like I, I understand starting, right. not starting sentences in, in written things with because. You speak, but differently, you speak differently than, differently than, you, than write. you write.
0: And at some point, if you're a decent writer, somebody says to you, you're a good writer. This is well written, and it's not likely that that includes a lot of. Um, <laughs> and like well, and but <laughs> I think
1: it, when but it I depends read, on what you're making. As when well. I was
2: reading the article, I, I also thought it actually tied into, uh, tied in and connected with the other two articles we were looking at. Is in a sense of both nostalgia and protecting an institution. Uh, like yeah. I really read this as yeah, going, yeah, yeah, yeah. we've got to protect the integrity yeah. of the English language. But isn't so much of what kids. is
1: considered like you know common vocabulary now was at one point slang. Well,
2: that's the whole thing. Language develops over time. We use expressions that they came out of something and they became... So
1: is it it more a matter of whoever is, you know in the institution at that point goes well what was considered formal when i was being taught and what i consider formal is obviously what is considered formal well, it's, it's like no universally
2: than, yeah and it's no different than in the church when well having fixed you theology s- you first started introducing guitars and you had people <laughs> go oh no everything has to be overhead worked. projectors but when you First, when the church wanted to introduce the organ, How it was the last you? instrument to be allowed actually older into the church heads. because at the time the church thought the organ was actually the instrument of the devil because of the sound it made. It and the trombone were really <laughs> frowned upon. And then all of a sudden they became, <laughs> the, well, not so much the trombone, but the organ became the instrument of yeah. the church. And then when it becomes, and the same thing sort so of happens with language. It feels like. We I, have to protect the integrity of the English language with I these words. I see some words. grammatical
1: things, and they say they want to, you know, help their students learn to be able to clearly express themselves and be understood. And I'm like, okay, I do understand that when you're when you're in like uh, a work setting, that you need to be able to comu- communicate clearly with people is very important, right? And so. If you're using a bunch of terminology that say your supervisor or your boss mm-hmm. doesn't understand you adapt the way
0: you communicate that that's you know content. could be
1: problematic it does feel a little bit like there's a teacher who doesn't understand what the kids are saying it, these days yeah
2: it, yeah and so I, he's like
1: no i don't want any of this you know
2: yeah and and i you know i was these thinking hooligans. when i was reading it i was thinking about sure if if you're going for a job interview then you probably you speak and, and part of the job of the school sure should teach students that yeah, your conversation that you're having with your friends and you're dropping F-bombs or you're using slang. Maybe don't bring that in. Probably not appropriate in a job interview. And to say, yeah, you know, like that sort of valley girl thing from the 80s uh, or chewing gum. I mean, there's a whole bunch of things you shouldn't do in a job interview that you may do when you're just hanging out with But some of the friends. etiquette and that is
1: a bit c- stupid.
2: Sure, and but... but- like you're going to learn that if you keep going to job interviews and mm-hmm. keep getting turned down because you know you're chewing gum and sipping your coffee and using swear words and cussing I think cuss <laughs> the word the you word cuss to say is cuss. actually banned <laughs> which I thought was weird The uh
0: I, I thought back to something that I had read a number of months ago in a book called This is the Voice uh there was a in 1756 and 1757 a guy named Thomas Sheridan who apparently was an actor um, and teacher, ex-actor and teacher, took it upon himself to become what was what became known as the National Elocutionist. And he took up a project where he was going to get everybody in Great Britain. Um, well, everybody in... It so, would have been the English-speaking world.
2: At the the time, English-speaking really. world. The world,
0: oh my maybe. Oh, um, Everything to,
1: about this is so problematic.
0: To have what he and others thought of as the proper accent
1: well you know what was probably surprising i bet it was his accent
0: it was the way he spoke of course that's so
1: shocking to me um
0: so he the he aimed to fix and preserve english in a state of perfection which is to say how this is a quote from the book how well educated well-heeled and well-connected londoners spoke it he denounced the cockney habits of dropping the h in words like heaven and happy so instead it would be evan, evan and and Abby. Abby. you see it's fun too isn't it <laughs> <laughs> um and pronouncing this just makes me want to talk more like that though th- and pronouncing th as f or v as in my this is in. sorry this is in the quote my brother thinks he's an evan <laughs> so uh he derided speakers from northern cities like liverpool for oh for pronouncing the u in cup with a drop tongue and rounded lips that made the word sound like coop he scorned the tendency of the Irish of to mispronounce the vowels O and E, so that sort became sart and person became person.
1: Sorry, so you mean somebody from London was, you know, and imposing yeah. this, his ways upon other people,
0: and he informed Scottish-accented speakers that they were doing almost everything, everything wrong. wrong. <laughs> uh, Sheridan goes to goes forward <laughs> to point out that the Irish and the Scottish didn't give to break this list a shit what he thought about <laughs> any, any of that, and they.
1: I, was there not a
2: play loosely based on this concept? Yeah. Oh, you mean My Fair my, Lady? Yeah, yeah we were talking right. about
1: that. <laughs> yeah. No, there's a lot of problematic things in that. Where I'm like, oh my goodness, the rain in uh-huh. Spain, but falls mainly <laughs> in the plane. Yeah.
0: So we can see there are all of these things going on right now where people have a, a desire to hold on to a world that once was. Everything is being questioned well, in a world that's that they understand. For I think some. that that's yeah.
1: that's probably uh, if if I wish to to try to view things charitably. I think that there there's a fear of not being able to connect not being able to understand not being able to be relevant anymore yeah. that I would wonder if that's at the heart of this doesn't change the fact that it's uh, been very problematic well, these I, sorts of and ways and the tendency to
0: kind of go those other people aren't into what i'm into so i know what's wrong with them they speak this way yeah. they they don't want to go to church they what so I, here's I what's think, wrong with them I do
2: think there's an interesting tension there though as i was reading this is we have this sort of clamoring and romanticizing of the past, like the Mm -hmm. the retro stuff. So the going back to the motels, mid-century modern furniture Uh, is a rage right now. I I mean, there is a bit of that. And yet at the same time, there's a rejection of a lot of tradition and formal ways of doing things. And you have people trying to cling on to those. So you have people trying to cling to or go back to Mm -hmm. something for different simpler reasons time but they're doing something. the yeah. same thing like let's go back to motels let's go back to mid-century Really, even really music in in some ways there's a, a reclaiming of certain styles of music so it's it's interesting that there's this ten, and we all have it within us there's certain things of the past that we actually want to get back to romanticize oh, yeah. and love and there's other things we want to reject and the difference is that what I want oh, to get back it, to and hold to on to is. is different yes. than what yes. you do but I'm right and thank well, God
1: for that
0: thank you guys very <laughs> much this is this has been great this is a good conversation about some of these things and uh and we're really pleased to we're going to kind of switch gears now and talk about mental health yeah um and we're really really, really pleased to have uh mark who here with us so thanks ken thanks allison and all who are listening take care so our guest today on Rector's cupboard is Marku Costomo. So glad that uh, he's joined us today. Marku has served as an executive in the nonprofit sector for over 20 years. He's a co-founder of Arasha Canada and has worked with a number of other organizations. He's currently working with a group called KC. Uh, is there a second word to that or just one word KC? K A C I.
4: Yeah, that's it. Growth and revenue specialist. Yeah, so
0: they're helping uh, Other nonprofits uh, and other organizations with uh, revenue and growth, and and finding great uh, success in doing that, Uh, we know Marku through a number of different things as Mm -hmm. well. Marku has lived in Nepal and then worked there as well, Um, so he's got stories from all over the world (laughs) also. And uh, we're just really, really grateful for you coming on today, Marku, and um, thinking that a lot of our conversation today will uh, touch upon. Uh, Matters of mental health and vocation and such. So Marku, welcome.
1: Yes, welcome Marku.
4: Thank you. It's so great to be with you guys.
0: Yeah, it's uh, I mean, we've had lots of interaction through various kind of like usually through other people.
1: Yeah, no. There's been but like a, this a organization, a, yeah, through Arasha and then through Sanctuary, and then like yeah. And there's then been our th-
0: cupboard master Ken Bell is yeah. working with Sanctuary as well, and we've had um, Sharon Smith on here who was one of the founders of Sanctuary, uh, because we d- did we probably didn't mention that in the intro. Mark who was also oh, yes. working <laughs> part time with Sanctuary <laughs> uh, Ministries, which is a group that helps in areas of mental health, um, and all kinds of things going on there as well. So, Marku, why don't we start by just Tell us some of your story, your background, and your growing up. Um, How'd you get to where you are now?
4: Thanks. Well, uh, first of all, just want to say thank you for having me on the podcast. It's great to be here uh, and looking forward to just being a part of uh, the community of Rector's Covered. Yeah, that's great. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I I grew up as a missionary kid in Nepal, so I, I grew up in three cultures. My parents are Finnish. And, uh, of course I was born in Canada, uh, and then Mm -hmm. raised in Nepal till I was 13 years old.
1: Wow. That's that's quite a beginning. uh,
4: (laughs) Finland, Canada, Nepal. All logical. (laughs) Yes. And so even today, when my, my, when my dad and I are watching hockey, uh, if the Finns and Canadians are playing, he's cheering for the Finns and I'm cheering for the Canadians, of course. Um, so you really know that my heart's Canadian. Well, my. Yeah, no kidding. That's still the case. Well, that's still the case. And my stomach is Asian because I love rice. So it's Nepalese, (laughs) but culturally I'm Finnish. And I love saunas as a result of that. (laughs) This is awesome. So that till you were 13 years old, you were in Nepal.
1: And then did you come back to Canada after that?
4: Yeah. Yeah. I grew up in Prince George, BC. Ah, Uh, north of here.
1: Yeah.
4: My uncles moved there, um, they started um, attending a really charismatic church and uh, started logging. So um, of course it was natural from Finland to Prince George. Yeah, I mean, Nepal, Finland to Prince George. Yeah.
1: Okay. And yeah. then how did you, how did you come down this way from Prince George?
4: To like the Vancouver uh, Yeah, I came to, to Vancouver to um, do graduate studies after doing my undergrad in biology in Alberta. I came to UBC, did uh, a degree in, a master's degree in dirt. Can you believe that? Soil (laughs) soil science. That's awesome. Uh, So for, and actually specifically for soils. So so I I was really Mm. enamored by the sciences and particular being outside. Mm. So I was really always conniving to do a degree in hiking and biology and combine that. Um, so the first part of my career was actually based out of a forestry consulting firm in North Vancouver, uh, and doing work all, all over Vancouver mm. Island. And, uh, but yeah, this lower mainland of BC in forestry and that, um, I had an epiphany where I saw this clear cut. I was laying out a clear cut way up high, uh, that was going to be heli logged out by Tofino And at that moment, I was just something in my spirit was like, these trees are 900 years old and I'm not sure I'm cool with this anymore. Mm. Like, uh, so that was kind of a pivot towards uh, thinking about creation and creation care. Um, And when I, when Lee and I got married, uh, she, she had gotten to know the founders of Arasha and said, I would just love to do this. And it just resonated with me. Uh, the the vision and the yeah. mission, uh, doing something around environmental stewardship uh, that brought my kind of training together alongside of, um, you know, Christian mission.
0: Yeah. So you, you founded Arusha Canada. And then, so what year was that?
4: Yeah, I, well, we, co- Lee and I co-founded it along with um, kind of a, a, um, a founding board. Okay. So that was in 1999, 2000. Um, Not that long ago, really. I mean, it's well
1: in in the history of like a nonprofit, not not really. And then, how long were you working with Arasha for?
4: Uh, Seventeen years. So Arasha Canada, it's uh, the twentieth anniversary this year. Actually, they're celebrating that uh, this this month. So yeah, congratulations! That's great. (laughs) And we've had Leon on as well. We so have.
1: We've had we've had Marcus's wife Leah on. This is the
0: first husband and wife.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's separated fantastic. by a season, but that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> different different
0: season of the of the series. But uh, um, so but you're so you're not with a Russia anymore. Tell us what you're doing now. And
4: yeah, I'm I'm working um essentially four days a week with Sanctuary Mental Health Ministries based out of Vancouver. And Sanctuary's vision is to really uh equip the church with resources to be the leaders in their communities uh, caring for people with mental health uh, on mental health and well-being. So, so the vision is really to see the church be a leader yeah. mm. around mental health uh, in their communities. So, uh, I think it's a significant vision. Um, and when we look at the church globally uh, and look at where the church has been and where the church potentially could go in serving local communities uh, and being the place, the go-to place when someone is, was, is struggling uh, and to be linked to a community. It's really significant. Mm
0: -hmm. Such a positive picture too, right? Because I know it, in religious communities, Christian and otherwise, right? They've, many of those communities, some haven't done this yet, but many of those communities have had to work through some of the stigma or misunderstanding or things that kind of spiritualizing can do in in areas of mental health, right? Like depending on the kind of denomination in terms of Christian church you're part of or something, they've not always been places that have embraced um, mental health and wellness in necessarily the most positive ways. So I know Sanctuary, one of their original things was to help churches work against that stigma in the actual churches. Mm-hmm. And now I love what you're saying. That's expanded now to, we hope churches can not can be only leaders. do that, but to be leaders yeah. in the community.
1: No, that's great.
0: Yeah. Do you, do you still find that in, in, in faith communities that kind of like some people just don't want to talk about this?
4: Well, I think I think it's true. I mean, it hasn't been my personal experience in the in the church that I'm engaged with. Um, I found a, a lot of support and encouragement and real openness. Uh, but I know that that's the case, and I, I, I know in in different traditions, there's maybe it's patch. It's like a patchwork quilt. Mm-hmm. Like in some places, uh, there's a lot of support and uptake, and then in some other places, uh, theologically or from a, a practice praxis perspective it's still not um still not quite there there is real stigma and there's a real challenge uh and and mental health gets swept under the rug and Mm. then the and then there's also cultures so different cultures Mm -hmm. handle handle that differently and so in a multicultural society and churches that are multicultural that'll be patchy as well um yeah potentially so yeah
0: yeah that it's it's um I know Sanctuary is growing, right? Like you guys have, have seen, what is it that, that, what are some of the factors that have contributed to that growth in your mind? I imagine some are professional, but then some would be cultural.
4: Yeah. I, I think honestly, I think there, I mean, this is my, one of my passions is, is nonprofit growth and and leadership. So, uh, and that's what I do in my other role in Casey, uh, helping other nonprofits grow and thinking about leadership and particularly fundraising as well. But Sanctuary, I would say the growth of Sanctuary has come about because of um, a, a really solid vision and then uh, amazing leadership uh, by mm-hmm. the CEO and board. So Daniel Whitehead, yeah. who has mm-hmm. been for over three years now, uh, I think he's in his fourth year as CEO, Uh, And there was a a pivot from doing work on the ground, engaging churches uh, physically, as in going and doing Mm. seminars, to pivoting to online resources, more like an alpha model, if you're
0: familiar with alpha.
4: Uh, So so you could think of sanctuary mental health providing resources, and the sanctuary course is very much like the alpha course in the sense that you can do it uh, online or in small groups video driven and, uh, resource driven. Um, and so that's, a that's provided for amazing growth and then along with other yeah. resources. So that pivot to a, an online model has just enabled sanctuary to, to start scaling. And so once you do uh, that, yeah. Yeah. And our vision really for sanctuary is over the next three years grow from, you know, engaging a thousand churches to 10,000 churches to impacting a hundred thousand people to impacting a million people globally. So we're on this sort of trajectory uh, and a focused campaign to see that type of impact. Uh, and we've recently really been helped by um, uh, the Archbishop of Canterbury. I, 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 we read about this. Yeah, yeah a It's a, fun, big announcement. a
1: big announcement. Justin,
4: right? Yes, Justin, Justin Welby. <laughs>
1: Archbishop, he,
4: yeah uh, and fondly known as abc at uh um sanctuary but yeah uh yeah so yeah we're delighted so does that. he have
0: a title in terms of sanctuary like like uh,
1: ambassador correct
4: he's With, patron so that's patron. Obviously oh, more okay. of a U- uk thing which is like an honorary leader of the organization that's and fantastic. lending his name um so which just
0: opens you up to very many churches there i would suppose
4: yeah, and then and then I think another exciting thing is is the launch of our Catholic resources this year. Hmm. Uh, so um, so there's been a really good uptake in the Catholic Church uh, so, as well.
0: So for you, which is fantastic. Well, that's another like you mentioned Alpha. Mm-hmm. That's something right. that Alpha made that that jump as well, or that you know the, yeah. a larger embrace than just you know Anglicanism or something that, and uh, so that's great that Sanctuary's on the same kind of arc. Um, one of the questions I had in my mind with this, and we'll get it to you, get to it when we hear your story in terms of mental health. Um, that model that Sanctuary has, you could see how just so very many people that Sanctuary helps you'll you'll never see, right? That's true. Like you want, that must feel and I'm, that must feel great in some ways to know that yeah the, the impact. Like, uh, so thinking of your own story, it must. How is it edifying for you to know that the, the reach is getting more and more broad?
4: Well, I think in my own story, and I'm very, uh, I mean, I've spoken publicly about my journey uh, and diagnosis with uh, bipolar disorder uh, that really started uh, four years ago. Uh, I mean, I've i have had mental health um, journey and challenges for over 20 years. Uh, and I was initially diagnosed with unipolar depression. So just seasonal depression. Uh, and you know, when, when Leah, my wife and I look back now, we think about uh, all those years and, and we recognize that hmm. it was bipolar disorder all along. Um, but, but you weren't being treated for that. No, I wasn't. And that this is common with bipolar disorder that there's a misdiagnosis and, um, you don't necessarily get a a full diagnosis till there's a hospitalization and Mm. so for me that that is true i would had a manic episode uh which is uh can be extremely chaotic personally uh with your family Mm. within your family your friendships and in in the work setting as well so that's all true um if you imagine sort of the grandiosity the aggressiveness that goes with uh mania um thinking that you can do almost anything. And I'm, I am by nature entrepreneurial, but that's like,
1: (laughs) Oh, no, I just say it takes it to a different degree.
4: Yeah. Because you're not in touch with reality. Yeah. So, and then, uh, through a group of friends, um, and a mentor, um, who worked, um, to, to engage with me in a very personal way, in a a appropriate way, got me to the hospital. Wow. Um, And I was, I was admitted and then diagnosed. Um, so yeah. And then I was diagnosed again, which is common. Like if in, in the journey or with bipolar disorder, the higher you go with, uh, on the hypomanic or manic side, likely the lower you go on the depression, Mm,
0: just the Uh, intensity.
4: Yeah. So the the, the uh, peak in the valley
0: is higher and lower.
4: Yeah. So, so I was then, you know, nine months later, um, hospitalized for depression and suicidality as well Hmm. so having said that in brief i'm happy to share more about that but having said that in brief uh to answer your question i'm passionate about uh being an advocate for mental health yeah and i'm so um feel so blessed to be working with sanctuary with colleagues that are passionate about caring for people uh and people's mental well-being and creating resources to to scale that in the church i mean to imagine the church being at the forefront uh i mean it's not completely true yet but we're hoping that sanctuary helps this become true is that the that the church is at the forefront of caring uh for people and be creating a safe place a sanctuary if you will for people with uh mental Health and well-being issues. So, yeah. So it's exciting. So, I mean, both from a personal journey, but then also, you know, part of my role is to help the scaling happen and mm-hmm. the entrepreneurial engagement. That, I mean, you could think of Sanctuary as a ministry that meet, meets a tech company that's highly entrepreneurial um, and and highly relational. So, the amazing good people that are involved, not just on staff. But as advisors, and and then the the, the resources and the films, the stories that are told are so rich and compelling. And there's there's this posture of vulnerability,
3: yeah.
4: uh, openness, with real, I think, sound theological engagement,
3: mm-hmm.
4: uh, not not overly spiritualizing, uh, with a really you know a solid psychological basis as well. So so it's very well balanced. Yeah. Um, yeah I
1: mean looking at, at some of the the people that you that sanctuary has as um, partners ambassadors and and the, and the like um, there's there's some familiar names I know that we've we've talked with uh, Dr. Hillary McBride and Dr. John Swinton yeah, both and on, yeah. and I go like okay you've got you've got great psychological resources you've got great theological resources um, people who who are leading in their fields and go and see a lot of value in what you are doing and wanting to help and go, yeah, I, I will lend my voice and my name to this. And I think that's kind of that's amazing to look at at the people that you guys um, are working with.
0: Yeah, it shows you that, like Marku, you're not alone in mm-hmm. in this. That other people, professionals, bringing their sets of skills, clearly resonate with what you're saying. That they
4: they they want
0: to help. Yeah, and they see this as a place that's that's doing that already, right? So
4: yeah i feel so um affirmed and um yeah i just feel so i think um validating mm. to be engaged with a team that is so thoughtful and caring around these issues um so yeah well and I, that's
0: that's not necessarily the same thing right like so what you what yeah. you're what you're communicating <laughs> is that sanctuary is an organization that exists to Uh, you know, work to be on the forefront of helping people um, with mental health. And so you can have an organization like that. Now Sanctuary at the same time seeks to incorporate values in their own organization, right? Mm -hmm. That are, that help in terms of mental health. It would be possible to have an organization (laughs) that is working on, you know, other people's mental health and they're not not great. Like that'd be like a church, right? it's, I've, you know, we've, we've, most of us have church experience and you'd think, well, that'll be the place where you'll be able to be really spiritual or that'll be, if I had a job at a church, then I'd be, and then you get a job at a church and And it doesn't always work out that way. Sometimes it does. So it's interesting to, to us that, that you clearly like this organization for both reasons. Mm
4: -hmm. Yeah, I would, I would say so. And I think it, it, I mean, as far as practicing what you preach, um, that is the case mm-hmm. with sanctuary. There's, there's a, there, there's a monthly extra Sabbath day, every, every, you know, like once a month staff get to take an extra day for, mm. for, for Sabbath, but also for what well-being, mm-hmm. mental well-being. Um, and it is, you know, people work really hard, uh, but there's good boundaries, uh, healthy boundaries. And so no one's expected to work which is common, like I don't—not in a disparaging way. It's it's when nonprofits are smaller and bootstrapping. There's always a lot of, you know, a lot of extra hours going yeah. into.
3: Um, Alison's <laughs> yeah. in your head. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I
0: understand. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> we're, um, you're editing this thing and doing that. That. Yeah. Yeah.
4: Yeah. So I think that's that's the outspoken part of uh you know the values that Sanctuary is. Watch, you know, watch yourself. Um, We want you to be well. Uh, Speak up if there's anything. Let someone know. Um, And sometimes
0: you need a break, whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. And
4: there are seasons. Every organization has seasons where you push hard. Yeah. um, Yeah. You get to rest. Yeah.
0: So your own story, which you so, like, I'm really grateful that you're willing to be, to just share about that, right? Like to, you often hear people say like, Oh, and I've had my own period of depression or I've had my own, but you spoke really clearly and said, and then I was hospitalized for this. And then mm-hmm. I, I think that can help people, right? Because there are things that people are afraid of. And even as some of the stigma is removed, I, I've seen in my own work and it, that there still can be stigma with uh, certain perceptions of treatment. Yeah. You know, like if I ever reach a point where I need to go to the hospital, then something is like that, you know? So, What's, what's been your experience around that? Like, and you're at this point now of willingness to, to speak about it. Is that just your nature that you're willing to, to do that? Or do you see, is it because you see the value in it or have you, have you had to kind of get there to be able to talk about it so openly?
4: Yeah. That's probably all of the above. Um, yeah. A little bit of all of the above. I, I think I have truly experienced stigma uh, in different settings whether whether that be in a work setting or in um, Mm. friends or with relatives, Um, but it's not across the board. I've also experienced real support and encouragement. So it's kind of a mixed mixed experience and it still is, Um, but I'm increasingly becoming um, more brave. Uh, I Mm. feel more courage around speaking. And the reason I want to speak is to help others who might be struggling. Uh, so that that's, you know, that's what's driving this. Cause that those personal narratives uh, and hearing those stories have been so helpful for me uh, in, in my experience. And so hearing that, whether, whether it's from a faith context or not uh, like, you know, lived, the hearing stories of lived experience uh, are hopeful. Yeah
0: yeah and that, yeah certainly when we hear it from right. you yeah yeah
1: i mean no.
4: it can also be like discouraging like wow that was a low valley uh but um you know and and so i think it's appropriate to share vulnerably but you also don't want to overshare mm. just so that it doesn't trigger somebody else as well mm. uh, so but but i am i am as with those guidelines, I'm an open book. So yeah. there you go.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit and, and we'll, we'll link to, to the video that, that you've um, made with Sanctuary uh, for anybody who's wanting to have a little bit kind of more, it's, it's a wonderfully produced video um, where, where you have a great chance to tell your story. Um, but you talk in there about things that were, things that have been helpful for you. You, you, you've described kind of this period of, of diagnosis of misdiagnosis for a very long time and then um, ending up uh, in hospital and and receiving some help and you describe some other things uh, that were that were helpful for you as far as um, your your management of, of this um, this condition uh, Could you talk to us a little bit about the things that you have found helpful
4: Yeah yeah I'd love to I think, you know, uh, just to clarify, it's ongoing, that mm-hmm. journey of mm-hmm. uh, some people use healing. And I, I have found the word recovery mo- resonates more. Okay. So, so I say to people that I am in recovery, but what keeps me in recovery is, is daily attention
1: mm-hmm. to
4: a number of things. And uh, to start with sleep, Uh, Mm. a regular sleep pattern. And for people who struggle uh, with bipolar disorder or other mental health challenges, that that is significant, actually, Mm. the getting sleep. um, Yeah, consistently is, is like the primary thing. Mm. Uh, uh, Then um, exercise, you know, getting out outside and being in your body But I think that's one of the the biggest things for me is just being embodied, Um, Mm. not just in exercise, but Mm. also um, connecting with my emotions in my body. Uh, So that's been a journey in its own. Um, That's interesting. So so sort of felt senses like this is I'm feeling, you know, I'm feeling this in my solar plexus right now It could be like it's like a tightness. And I don't I wonder what that is like, is that that? anxiety no mm. no is it anger no I you know it oh, actually I feel I feel like um you know there, there might be some shame around something mm. from earlier today like so actually being in tune and checking in
3: with yeah. myself
4: in my body has been a new thing over the past couple of years um and that's been really transformational hmm. um and then um eating, eating well, like eating, just being careful of what I eat. Obviously after sleep, I should have said medication because (laughs) uh, for, for me, that is, uh, is true. So like a, a diabetic has to take their insulin every day. I, I have to take my, my meds for bipolar disorder every day. And those are, uh, you know, they provide a baseline. They don't solve like the meds don't hmm. solve the issue. They create a baseline that allows me to, to live well and manage hmm. well and stay in recovery using everything that I uh, can do. Hmm. Um, and, and, and then therapy is something that I, I do a couple times a month, hmm. uh, I carry on. And I imagine that's probably uh, a part of my own journey, um, going forward. Spiritual direction is, Really helpful, mm-hmm. connecting with friends and being in community. Uh, so that that's really helpful. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I mean, COVID has been hard for me because yeah. I'm both an extrovert and uh, you know have my mental health well being as a concern as well. So so the combination of yeah. that COVID's been tough. Um,
1: mm-hmm. So
4: Zoom, Zoom calls have been helpful. Even though yeah. uh, there's Zoom fatigue out there in culture,
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, which is weird, like,
1: well, what I hear you talking about, and, and please correct me if I'm if I'm misunderstanding this is there there's a lot that, that you found helpful about connection, connection with yourself, and and what you're truly experiencing. Connection, uh, you you talked uh, in in the video uh, that Sanctuary has about connection with creation. And being outdoors and how that was really helpful, and then connection with other people. Um, so it feels like a lot of hmm. those things, as well as normal things that we should all be doing better, like better diet, better sleep patterns, um, medication when when it's needed. Like th- those are all things that that are quite helpful for you. But it does sound like there there is part where, um, it. Hmm, I'm trying to think how to phrase what I'm what I'm thinking in my head so forgive me um you'll get there I, I hopefully <laughs> I may have to edit some of this part out fine. do you um, okay you're there go ahead I think so I I I do wonder whether and and I wouldn't wish I wouldn't wish to sound calloused or um uh, flippant but or or going like no, silver silver lining ish but it, it does seem like in order for you to, to manage well and to, to, to live in, in ways that like you're, you're wishing to live, you've, you've had to learn a lot of practices that are probably good for most people, but you kind of seem like you must be forced into them a little bit with, Hmm. with your mental health Hmm. challenges. And, and I go, I, I guess in some ways there are good aspects to that, but it, I, I do kind of feel like that that's got to be a little tiring to feel like you you have to constantly manage these things
4: yeah thanks uh thanks for that um that wasn't silver lining ish or yeah
1: um, well i don't want to think like well you can get like um, good things out of bad things i'm like no that's not what i'm meaning
4: yeah yeah but but i i no i do think i mean yes um i'm probably way more in touch with parts of me and i'm generally healthier and, um, more mature because I mm. have gone through, through this than I was before my diagnosis. Hmm. So, so I think there, That's there well, it has been a deep transformation hmm. of, um, even I would say at the, the level of character,
3: hmm.
4: uh, having gone through this. And, Mm -hmm. and, and it's not done. It's a journey, right? Yeah.
1: You do talk about, about that, that there's, there is, you use the word chronic in, in, in the video. And so there's part where I go, I I feel like there, there must be a level of kind of, you have to accept that you're like, and this is, this is how this is, and this is how, in some ways this will be. Um,
4: Yeah. Yeah. I used to think that, you know, when I, when I particularly before I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, I used to think that, okay, this is seasonal depression. Mm. I'm going to bootstrap myself Mm. out of this next year. I'm not going to go through this, but you know, but it's been 25 years now, (laughs) every September rolls around. Oh yeah.
0: That's a big one for a lot of people.
4: I just, I have, you know, I really struggle in September around depression and anxiety. And I'm, and I'm just wondering about that. And, and now it's a, a bit of a different perspective. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I see it a bit more like, oh, it's the weather moving across the mountain. So it was sunny this summer. Yeah. And now it's, you know, literally fall and it's clouds and drizzle mm. moving across the mountain right now. But the mountain's still the mountain. The mountain's not the weather, uh, mm. meaning mm. that I, there's this differentiation that's happened between myself and the moods that i'm experiencing uh, and that in itself is so healthy i am not that mood right <laughs> um that's that's just the weather moving across the mountain um so that's been that's been a significant new perspective for me over it, it, of and it helps you to
0: feel more free
4: oh absolutely
3: Hmm.
0: i know like it's someone who worked in the church for years and years um what you're marking there with september i mean seasonal and whatever but i know also for for people in in lines of work and september is often the new year for for many people more than january which means um you know things are going to be measured again how many people how much you know what, what is it like here? How, what are the resources? And, and September can be a time for people that is just, that is just really, really rough. And then you add layers, like w- with what yeah. you're speaking about. But yeah. I had a question in terms of, I, I have these like two things in my head as you're talking about your own story and mental health and diagnosis and the rest. One is your work, like, cause you know, being in, involved in the executive of organizations bringing all kinds of skills and growing things and so how mental health inter interacts there and maybe we can talk about that in a few minutes but uh the one i wanted to address first is what about your faith interaction with your faith all through this story because there's all and that would have to do with sanctuary as well but there's all kinds of pressure on and definitions of what it means to be okay and if i have a faith in god then i should feel okay and so it, I would imagine at various points you've had to work through these kinds of faith questions as well. And how do you, how does that kind of resonate with you right now?
4: I, I think it's an interesting question. And I think my, my journey has been one of like a faith that has become broader and more spacious mm. um, through my own journey of suffering and um, leaning in. So I so I mean I have I have found Jesus at the center of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my my posture is is broader and it keeps getting broader and wider and that's um, great. And the uh, and I think that's pressed in through the experience of suffering um and and the common what we share with the common humanity. Uh, around suffering, love, and engagement with um, the Creator. Yes, yeah. You so best... I, 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 so, so I mean, even to just to think from a practice perspective, like yeah. um, for me, like just quiet contemplative prayer is deeply grounding, mm-hmm. um, and that connection um, you know, and I don't see it necessarily as that different from the charismatic prayer that I grew up with, but it's not that like, but I, I, what I'm saying is the connection might not be that different, but it's a very different expression. Yeah. Different approach and expression to that. Um, so yeah. Do you,
0: um, I'm just, as you're talking, I'm thinking about the way you've been blessed. I would use that word. Um, way you're in recovery, you, you talk about the layers of, of um, management from you know, medication and sleep and the rest. Uh, in in working with people or in being friends with people, uh, you you must have seen people really struggle with medication, like people who medication helps, but then they want to be off medication, or people who um, struggle with. You know whatever kind of treatment it is. When you talk about things being more spacious, how has how has your own journey helped you to see other people different differently? Even people who are rejecting treatment or are not able to receive have been unable to receive the kind of help that you have, even though they may be offered it.
4: Yeah, I mean, I I, I sit. I mean, I'm part of a a support group uh, that meets regularly around bipolar disorder. So I think the journey of peer support um, is so valuable in, in recovery and what I, you know, and what we learn in that is not to bring advice.
3: Hmm.
4: So, so we can, we can tell our story, but we don't bring advice. And so I, I think you know, and I, have been like the champion advice giver, like <laughs> five years ago, it's like, <laughs> I had advice for everybody on anything uh, and I would make it up half the time. <laughs> so, um, um, so I, I think that's been really sobering and a good place of learning for me is to actually oh, that's make assumptions, listen to people, mm-hmm. tell my story, but don't give advice. Um, because, Everyone has their own story, yeah, and they're in a different place, um, yeah.
0: Yeah. So you're able to say, "Here's how these things work for me," but mm-hmm. but the difference is, then you don't go, "Here's what you should do."
1: No. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> w- would you find that that would also be a helpful posture for for people who are are wishing to? you know helped friends or family who who have mental health challenges as well to have a posture of listening and caring and and not advice giving or
4: oh yeah i think so absolutely i think um yeah validation is huge like mm-hmm. yeah that is so hard and tell me more like what what makes it so hard what are you experiencing right now
3: mm-hmm.
4: um, and then and and listening the validation um, the telling personal, personal stories, if it makes sense in that context, but then also ask, just asking, how can, like, is there anything I can do right now? Like, is mm-hmm. there anything practical? Yeah. Like, can I run to the store for you today? Or, you know, it's, it's those practical things that, um, actually are an expression of love. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, yeah. And just and, get people through.
4: Yeah. So another hour or day or whatever. Yeah. 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 And, and I, I mean, I knew, I do know that there are acts like for me, I, you know, the people did an intervention, um, you know, community where I, where we live and, uh, so friend. what do you,
0: what do you mean by that? I remember that on your video speaking about intervention. What, so what did that well, it look was, like?
4: It was my, it was my 47th birthday. Um, and, uh, Oh, that means it's five years, not four years. <laughs> oh, okay. 40, 47th birthday or 48th birthday. Yeah, no, it was 48th birthday. Um, and we had had a party, but this was in the height of my mania. Um, Leah was in the kitchen cleaning up. Of course me, uh, I was doing emails and work, um, probably not making a lot of sense, mm. but I was at it. Um, so this and is while
0: people are at your party.
4: Well, this is app. Oh, okay.
0: Okay.
1: okay. okay.
4: And then my friend and mentor came and knocked on the door and said, Hey, can you join, join me in the living room? It's like, Whoa, what are you doing here? <laughs> and then I walked into the living room and there was our friends and community members uh, gathered um, mm-hmm. and saying, I, we think we should take you to the hospital. I go, well, before that, I said, is this an intervention? <laughs> so I must have known something was wrong. Well, sure. Uh, yeah. yeah. And I was, I was open to going to the hospital. There's, there's no, um, there was no resistance. It was just, it felt like, I mean, I literally remember that moment thinking I was going to throw up. It was that sort of like mm. shock reaction, yeah. not, there was no anger at at them. It was just like, well, this is real. Yeah, like this is happening.
1: No, is, is that because uh, when, when you were in the midst of, of the mania, it, it doesn't feel like that to you, it like that no. your experience of your mania is very different from say what your friends or your family may be experiencing on the other side of you.
4: I I like to describe it as uh, you're getting on a bus with a big backpack. And you're walking through to the back of the bus and you're every few feet you stop and turn around to talk to somebody and you don't see what happens behind you, your backpack, you just, key. <laughs> the backpack just like just takes nice. a huge swipe out of people huh. behind you. Um, so you're not aware of what, I mean, and so that was a big part and it's still part of my journey mm. is actually is making amends mm. for what happens, what happened during uh, a manic episode. Um, it's, it's literally traumatizing for family members mm-hmm. and for our family, for my wife and kids, especially.
0: So, what you're saying there is
4: that other
0: these people in the room at that time, they had obviously had conversations with one another leading up. Like, to I'm this, really concerned about Marku. I don't know if Marku is okay.
4: Yeah, yeah, and and I, I mean, just to put into context, there was, you know, like a spiritual leader in the room, and there was a, a psychologist in the room, so it was it was. It was well mm-hmm. led.
3: Yeah,
1: yeah it, it doesn't sound like you're advocating for people just to go around friends that they're concerned yeah. about and be like, "We well, should do an intervention." You're like, no, 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 no. Like, These this are people seems who like a, know what they're talking yeah, about. That and, we yeah, that were very close to you and yeah. had some good, you know, training and whatnot in in this.
4: Yeah, and it was done really well and gently, but firmly, and mm-hmm. and I wasn't resisting. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, and I, I would say that there was that sort of did not. I think we all go through denial in this type of a journey and for me it was denial and i would say even after my diagnosis and medications it wasn't until like day four in the hospital Mm -hmm. that i started to think of you know the people who were in the hospital with me other clients Uh as oh i i am like initially it was like i'm not one of them Uh, and then this slowly dawning realization as I listened to people's stories and what they were saying, and going, yeah. "Oh, yeah," well, and, and- I can wow, see man, this. So there was this yeah. beauty, this man. moment, this moment where I, like, I distinctly remember going, "Yeah, I am. I, this is this is what I'm going through right now. It there is no other. I am. Yeah. This is.
1: Well, and, and, this, and I'm and a part talking, of this community. Yeah, you talked. Yeah. Um, You talked about how like after this diagnosis, you you kind of in retrospect look back and you're like, oh, yeah, I can see how maybe we ended up here and that things and you were saying that that's quite common for for bipolar, that you have these initial misdiagnosis and things that you would probably now identify as as a manic episode, but you didn't really have. Yeah. Previously, previous to your diagnosis, you wouldn't necessarily have had kind of that understanding or terminology or whatever around that is that common yeah
4: Yeah, it is and just um not to get too technical there's a a couple a few different types of bipolar but the main two different types are bipolar Mm one disorder and bipolar two disorder so bipolar and what's common is hypomania and depression for both of them okay but but bipolar one is um characterized by a manic episode that requires hospitalization. Um, So, so whether there are highs uh, in, in bipolar two, the highs aren't, they're not classified as like a manic episode. It's more, it's called a hypomanic episode episode. So I experienced hypomania for probably for 20 years Hmm. And depression like the alternating as we look backwards um and then had this significant manic episode um
0: which which required the hospitalization so that's why so that's why the diagnosis is that
4: yeah yeah so so it's yeah so it's likely that i may not have been diagnosed um, if i didn't have that hospitalization Mm
3: -hmm.
0: Do you, um, how do you find generally, culturally now people are, is it, get it? I think it's getting better. Am I correct in that? Is it getting better <laughs> that people are talk, talking more often about this, more willing to share less, like you must feel good oh. there?
4: Oh yeah, I would say so. Like I would even from the early days of when I was started on, on an antidepressant 20 years ago, it's so different now. I yeah. feel like culture, just in like, generally, in culture, we're much more open and aware. There's a lot going on on the yeah. mental health and well-being side of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's there's good press coverage, telling stories.
0: Uh, yeah. And we, 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 like, recently, the Olympics, Simone Biles. And yeah. Yeah, so, exactly. Right? Like people are talking about mental health and athletes and just everywhere yeah. now. Yeah.
4: And artists. And, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. even some politicians. Um,
0: yeah, yeah, that's one of the final places. Hey, eh? pastors, yeah. even it's okay now, in, in many, yeah, yeah. Even like
4: <laughs> yeah, even pastors,
1: even pastors, <laughs> you mean, pastors <laughs> with hope. mental health?
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like a, you could you we know, can humanize pastors, right? All the red flags, and yes. um, yeah,
4: so so I think, uh, I think there is just a general, even like even the Christian community, a much more mm-hmm openness mm. around that um so i and i think there's still a lot of work to be done
3: mm-hmm.
4: um in in advocating and in normalizing it and removing stigma so um so we haven't arrived as a culture nope. and we haven't arrived in the church um yet so uh, and therefore um sanctuary is needed still yes
0: yeah. Uh, yeah. you know what we didn't talk about and i know that that is on the video as well your dog
1: <gasps> your dog blue so cute oh my goodness i
0: had the opportunity had a great time to have coffee with marcu a couple of months ago and and blue was there i got to tell us about blue
4: yeah well i actually um i looked into this and and i i talked to my psychiatrist and said what do you think like i i've talked i've learned about these um emo- emotional therapy animals and she goes yeah i can prescribe you one <laughs>
1: Oh my gosh someone could prescribe a dog i mean i'm I headed to dog. london
4: drugs now
1: oh my goodness That's...
4: so uh, so so i mean we already had blue but uh,
1: so did you need to get like training but... or something for for? no
4: him? you don't so but i do have a letter from my psychiatrist saying that blue is uh suitable is a, is an emotional emotional therapy animal and uh it I mean, in, in the U S there's a, a clear designation for that. Mm -hmm. So here uh, it's a little gray. There isn't really like a legal, a legal definition of that, but, but there is there is more leeway uh, in some areas and and some stores. And so, yeah, so blue has become a great companion. I think it, it's the um, the rhythm of the days. Like I get, you know, I have to take blue out in the first thing in the morning. So, uh, uh, have to get up and go outside yeah
1: yeah that's
4: a great way to start my day just to get up and go outside uh and bond with another being and
0: great mm -hmm. dog too
4: be in creation and uh yeah so so that and then you know we probably end up going out like six times a day so that that's another just a mental health break every time I get up Mm. and
1: so do you bring do you bring blue to work with you
4: well i've mostly been working from home but i do so, yes. i have brought him to sanctuary sanctuary uh events and team meetings uh and uh yeah so he pretty well does go everywhere i can uh, with him and he's a he's a non-shedding hypo hypoallergenic dog so um yeah so he is a family dog but uh somehow he's kind of become my dog
1: (laughs) that's great well
4: people who are listening can can pull up the video I mean it might be worth watching the video just for blue I uh (laughs) it's I've
0: been thinking you reference the zoom thing like and then Allison you were talking about the need to connect and Mark you're saying that zoom has helped with that and I was just thinking about that as you were speaking and 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 the embodiment because I can see you I can on our screen moving now and but it is so different in person like I remember meeting you for coffee and I can know what it feels like to like be with you in in person mm-hmm. and i can also see the truth of what you're saying about um how you've grown in in learning what it means to be embodied and uh so when you want hear you talking about blue i just that's the scene i picture is just blue there because the dog is just so <laughs> present that way right but then your interaction with with blue and uh what happened when you went into the coffee shop and blue was just with me and was going Uh-oh. like what's going on in the world but it was still super <laughs> My <sweet>. humans missing <laughs> yeah it's still eyes fixed into the place
3: right <laughs> I so, want back.
0: yeah so we're really yeah. grateful for you joining us we got one more question we kind of end on this yeah. a lot um what makes you most hopeful right now? Thinking of our current cultural moment coming out of COVID or however you want to frame it, what gives you hope right now?
4: I think it's the storytelling that's happening in culture. Um, Mm. So you see that, you know, Simone telling her story and actually and that getting picked up by media. And so every time a story gets told in public, it uh, validates somebody else and their journey and their experience uh, and hope my hope in that, that, that then, you know, this is a, because I think mental health can be so isolating when we're struggling mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. mental health. that to hear someone's story, even if we don't know them uh, it engages our story. And there it's, it's, there's something that's shared um, that allows all of us to kind of reach forward um, and re, you know, touch each other on on a journey that we're on together. Mm. And and then on the flip side, I think the people who maybe haven't experienced mental health struggles or don't know somebody that has, there's there's a building of more empathy mm. and awareness. And mm. so I, I think that that's, that's so very, well put.
0: Yeah. yeah. That's and I just as I hear that, I just think of like. Areas not, not only in areas of mental health, but just yeah. as we're hearing the stories of other people who've lived different yeah. experiences than we have, and what that does, and so, so thank you so much for joining us. We yes. know you've been a help for us already. We feel company with you. Uh, I'm really encouraged that you do the work you do, and you've worked with the agencies you have, and you clearly bring a set of professional and executive skills. Um, and yet this also, as we've spoken about today, is is a key part of your. Uh, story as well and uh, i think it's just going to keep resonating more and mm-hmm. more with people we yeah. if for people who are listening um if you're in a place of needing help reaching out obviously we'll have links to sanctuary yeah. on there but we've also had uh, other episodes with um with places where you can track down uh, how to get help uh, and then also um just listening to Marku's story, we'll put put a link to the video if that's okay. I'm assuming it's okay. We've talked about Absolutely. it, yeah, yeah. Um, because that that will be a way for people to hear your particular story told in that in that narrative way. Um, but uh, just blessings to you and to anybody else who's listening right now who mm-hmm. is a story to share in terms of their own mental health or is at a point of uh, uh, seeking help right now. And so blessings all around, Marku. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. Thank
4: you and yeah. and just. Thank you for your storytelling that you're doing. So just appreciate that.
0: Yeah, step by step. Yes. God bless. Thanks so much. Thanks.
1: Okay. Bye. Bye.
0: Rector's Cupboard releases a new episode every other Friday. The podcast is a production of Reflector Project. Hosts are Todd Weeb and Allison Williams. Cupboard master for tastings and locations is Ken Bell. Production and social media by Amanda Minor. For past episodes and other content, visit rectorscupboard.ca. Thanks for listening.